We are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. This is funny to me, chapter 3. I cannot explain why this happens to me at times. I think part of the problem was last week I had prepared for all of the chapter and I forgot that I covered only the first five verses. So as I was preparing for the study uh, for this morning, I mean, I was you know, looking and, and going over notes and reading the, the passage, I, a few days ago, began preparing for chapter 4, thinking, okay, we covered chapter 3, now we're going to be in chapter 4, and I completely forgot that we only looked at the first five verses. So in the middle of the night when I went to use the bathroom, and my computer monitor was still on, I, I sat down at my computer monitor, and I, I have to tell you, I, I have not been feeling well. I've had a, a really rough night of sleep and really upset stomach all night long. So, But I got up and I thought, you know, I'm not sleeping. I might as well just sit here at my, my desk for a minute and just read. And I was going to read the passage once, once again. So as I'm reading chapter 4, something about it is just not set right with me. And I, I couldn't think of what it was. And a lot of times I'll go back and just look at a few verses before. And all of a sudden when I went back to chapter 3, I realized, well, I didn't even cover all of chapter 3 last week. So then I, I didn't go into a state of alarm or anything like that. But I began to realize, oh, that's right. We're, we, we need to look at the second half of chapter 3. So we are in First Thessalonians chapter 3, picking up in verse 6 where we left off. But before we go any further, let's ask... God's blessing on this time. Lord, we're grateful for your word. Lord, grateful for the impact that your word has on our lives. And Lord, just also to the importance of your word in strengthening and building our faith. And so, Lord, as we study your word this morning, I pray that our faith would be strengthened. I pray, God, that as we study your word each and every day, hopefully in our lives, our walk with you, our faith in you is strengthened, Lord. Your word says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There are no shortcuts to faith without your word. We love you, Lord. Please speak to our hearts this morning through your word. And it's in your mighty name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen. I love the verse that Eric read. <laughs> I don't know if that was planned or intentional, but that is exactly, you know, I, I'm going to talk about faith this morning, and I specifically wanted to define what faith is, and because I had it in a different place in my notes, I was going to introduce it then, but because Eric brought it up, and I just love that because the Holy Spirit's working in a way to just simply confirm what He is wanting to do in our midst. I, and I mentioned I was actually studying to teach chapter 4 this morning, I actually thought and considered, well, you know what, man, I'll just skip right to chapter 4. Maybe no one will notice. I don't know if you would or wouldn't have. Hey, where's the rest of chapter 3? But I thought, well, I'll just go to chapter 4 because I really like chapter 4. I mean, the first half is a little strong, but it's great because the beginning of chapter 4 is actually a contrast of the second half of chapter 3. So it's necessary that chapter 3 be taught. But the end of chapter 4 talks about the return of Jesus Christ and the rapture. And it got me to thinking about the days we're living in. And in the last few days, actually about the last 10 days, I've been to three different funerals. And it just got me to think about, again, to the second half of chapter 4, because that's part of what the Apostle Paul is addressing 
with the church at Thessalonica, this false teaching that had crept into the church about the return of Jesus Christ and those that had fallen asleep before the return of Christ. But you're going to have to wait now a couple weeks for us to get there because we're in chapter 3. But as I began to look at it, I saw just something that just, again, too, I love how the Lord just begins to just pull things out. And just, it's almost as if things kind of light up for me at times when I'm reading God's Word. You know, just emphasis on this and on this and on this. Kind of like the way you go to a movie or TV and you're watching a show and the, the words light up sometimes on, you know, some of the special you know, graphics that are used or special effects that are used now to draw your attention to a particular word in a, a sentence or a paragraph. And for me, that word that jumped out, actually there's two of them that jumped out in our short section of scripture here, is the word faith and the word charity or love. And we, we looked last week how that the Apostle Paul, and again too, this is just a little bit of a background, but the Apostle Paul uh, because of persecution that took place in Thessalonica, he ends up going on ahead, I believe it's to Berea, and then from Berea he goes on to Athens. And as he's in Athens, it seems from what Paul says at the beginning of the chapter, he's there only with one guy, with Timothy. The rest of the missionaries, the rest of those that normally were traveling with Paul, were straggling behind. And Paul is waiting in Athens for them to catch up. He wants to know how this church in Thessalonica is doing after being established after only three weeks of preaching the gospel there. So he decides to send Timothy back to find out how they're doing. He's waiting for the rest of his group to catch up with him in Athens, but he's waiting also too now for Timothy to come back. And when Timothy comes back, he comes back with good tidings. He comes back with, again, to a report, a good report that would make any pastor, any brother or sister in Christ who has a focus on spiritual things would just thrill their heart as to hear how they're doing as a church. And he says then in verse 6, but when Tim, actually, and I was going to define what faith is for you, and I'll read this. And Eric already read it, but I'll read it once again, because the whole chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, is a, a chapter that deals with faith and examples of faith. And he says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. There's substance to faith. I think sometimes people think that faith is just, again, to believing in something or believing in something hard enough. If I just believe in something hard enough, it's going to happen. And that's the kind of faith that many times people that don't know Jesus Christ in this world have. Or that's the type of faith that sometimes people that know Jesus Christ, but they want their own will to be done. I'm going to believe this hard enough as if almost their faith has power in their own faith, and it doesn't. The only type of faith that serves us as brothers and sisters in Christ is the type of faith where our trust is in Jesus Christ, where our trust is in God. I'm trusting in God. I'm trusting in the promises of His Word. I'm not trusting in, you know, again, too, I just hope this comes. This is going to come out. I know this is going to come out. Again, too, that's like, that's like walking out on thin ice and hoping and praying that the ice doesn't crack. You know, the cra <laughs> if the ice is thin enough, it doesn't matter how much faith you have, the ice is going to crack. But faith is knowing how thick the ice is and knowing that it's able to support my weight. And even though there's an element of fear because you're walking out on ice, 
You know, I've drilled, you know, there's six inches of good ice. I can walk on this ice and it's going to sustain me. Maybe it's a little premature to be talking about ice and winter. I know it's not too early for the wetter kids because they can't wait to begin to ice skate on the pond behind their house. They were kind of robbed last year of a decent winter, so they're probably going to get a really good icy winter, cold winter. So the rest of us batten down the hatches. But again, too, faith in God isn't just this nebulous thing that I, I don't know whether or not God is going to work in my life. It is a faith because, again, there is evidence for that faith. You know, when God delivers the children of Israel from Egypt, the point at which they are standing at the Red Sea was a point of probably failure for Moses as well as the children of Israel because they think, you know, they, they lack faith because they think that Pharaoh and his army are going to destroy them. They're trapped by two mountain ranges. And I think it's Pihahiroth and Migdal. They're trapped there, and Pharaoh's army's closing in, and what's before them is the Red Sea. It's a perfect place for them to be trapped, two and a half million people. And again, too, Pharaoh even thinks it's an opportunity as well because he thinks they haven't been out of Egypt. They haven't been out of, you know, they don't know what it's like to travel. They didn't realize that they're going into the perfect kill zone for us to slaughter them. Let's go after them. I mean, Pharaoh's men and everybody, they... They work themselves up, they arm themselves, they're on their chariots, and the children of Israel begin to scream and cry to Moses, what are we going to do, what are we going to do? And, and Moses, I mean, if you read the passage, in a sense he comes before God and he says, what are we going to do, what are we going to do? You know, he's afraid too. But the thing is, stop, I mean, it's not like this is the first opportunity for God to work in their lives. God has already worked magnificently, miraculously, astoundingly, so that when they come to that place in the Red Sea, and again, remind you, they've been led by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. God led them to that place where they would be trapped and their faith would have to be exercised. And even then, what God's response to Moses is, why are you crying to me? You know, take your rod, step out, and stretch it forth, and step out into the water. And once he does that, you know the waters part, and they cross safely. But again, remind you of the things that God had done before that point. There was evidence. There were plagues. There was the slaughter. The final plague was the, probably the most greatest judgment of God upon the Egyptians because the firstborn of their household were put to death in judgment. I mean, they could have averted the judgment of God again by exercising their faith, by slaughtering the lamb, celebrating the Passover, and putting the, the blood on their doorposts. That was an exercise of faith as well. But again, so many times the things that God does in our lives and the trust that we have in him isn't like we're stepping out on thin ice. It's We know how thick the ice is. We know and we've seen what God has done in the past. And we know the leading of God. And when we get to that place where we, we feel like, okay, we're in an, in an impossible circumstance, but God's led me here. And Lord, if you've led me here, I know that I have to trust you. And that's what faith is. It's putting your trust in a God 
who you've seen the evidence or the substance of his work in the past. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In our passage, now that I've laid that groundwork for faith, Paul writes, but now, verse 6, but now when Timothy came from you to us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Three things that the Apostle Paul says about faith in these few verses from verse 6 to 10. First of all, he says that when Timothy came back, he brought us good tidings of your faith. And again, too, it is a faith in God. It is a faith in Jesus Christ. It's not, again, too, uh, this substanceless faith or hope. You know, when Bibles, the Bible speaks of faith, and I think sometimes, too, we hear this among churches, we hear this, you know, among believers when they talk about faith, and they almost talk about faith as if, and again, too, maybe those of you that are Star Wars fans, you can kind of relate. They talk about faith as if it's some kind of force to be exercised by us as believers, like, I have the faith. These are not the droids you're looking for. I mean, you, you know, like somehow your faith can be imposed upon a, another circumstance or another situation. And really what faith is, is just me clinging tightly. I mean, for me, I almost picture it, clinging tightly to the ankles of Jesus. <laughs> you know, just hanging on. I mean, so many times in the scripture, and I especially notice this in, in Luke's gospel, when he talks about Jesus and those coming to Jesus and begging him to intervene in some way. They're sick. Or a father who has his demon-possessed child or, or Mary of Bethany coming. You know, it's just interesting to me how many times in Luke's gospel in particular, there are those that are falling down at the feet of Jesus and just hanging on clinging to him, knowing that he has the power to work in their lives. And it's faith. That's the type of faith that the Apostle Paul is glad to hear is actually being worked in this baby believer church. That it is a, a, a faith that is good news to hear. I, I'm so glad that your faith is in God. I'm so glad that your faith is in God's word. But there's so many times people think that they have a misunderstanding of what faith is. As if it's some kind of force, you know, a, a power that I have. It's not that at all. It's a trust in a living God that is working in the lives of his children. I've come to, to realize that. And, and granted, sometimes there are new believers that are learning those things, but you know, again, I already mentioned the passage 
in God's Word that talks about faith, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I think sometimes people think that faith comes by the exercise of miracles. That somehow in their churches that there's an emphasis on the supernatural. There's emphasis on healing services or deliverance services. You know, come. And sometimes they're advertised that way. Or even to the fascination that I think even Christians and even non-Christians have with sometimes the stuff that's on television. And somehow it's, it's packaged and labeled as Christianity. And you, you see some of these characters. And I'll name names. I mean, guys like Peter Popoff or back when I was a new believer, this guy named Ernest Ainsley. I don't even know if he's still around. But I, I, I was a brand new believer in Christ, and I remember one time coming home uh, from probably church. I, I, I was stationed, I was in the Marine Corps. I was stationed at, at El Toro. I was going to say Calvary Chapel, El Toro, but no, it was Marine Corps Air Station, El Toro. But I was going to Calvary Chapel down on the Oceanside, and after a great day of being at church and fellowship, brothers and sisters in Christ, a lot of times I get home, you know, late in the day or early in the evening, and I and our the way our barracks was set up was we had like these apartment rooms that were kind of based around this common area. It was a small area. There was six rooms all together, I think three on each side, and we shared a uh, you know restroom facilities. But then also too in this common area we had a little rec room where there was this little black and white TV. Back in the days of black and white TV, and I get back there one of the raunchiest Marines I've ever known. <laughs> He's a poster child for just, uh, my wife doesn't like me using his name, so I won't, but he's, he, he, anyway. But he's watching a, a healing service. And, and again, too, you know, this guy's doing, conducting this in some hotel conference room or lobby, and there's hundreds of people there, but he's inviting people to come up, and then with all this theatrics, you know, and he putting his finger in their ear and, you know, be healed, heal, you know, walk, stand, and he's just doing all this stuff, and, and people are jumping and running and doing all this crazy stuff. And, and I'm surprised to see this guy who again, too, when he found out I got saved, he, 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 he vowed that he would corrupt me. And I, I'll get you. I, you know, my brother's a Christian, and, and I'll make you fall. I'll, you know, he's just like, and he's a good friend of mine, too. I love him dearly. Um, and I pray for his salvation. But I'm kind of surprised, and I said, why are you watching that? I mean, again, too, I is a believer, a baby believer. I never watch it because to me it's like watching the WWF. It's all fake and staged. My grandpa used to watch wrestling back in the 60s. And my grandfather, it was funny because he was from Mexico, but he was so sure that it was real. And I'm thinking, you know, Vern Gagne and the whole, I mean, not the Hulk, the, uh, who was the guy that the, yeah, you know, Baron Von Roski. And I mean, on Saturday, we were going through all the names of these guys. And my grandfather would watch it, but he really believed it was real. It's just like, that's all fake, Grandpa. And the same thing with this, you know, the stuff that was going on. And I asked him, why are you watching this? And, and, and maybe, too, my thought was, oh, maybe he's interested. Maybe he's going to come to the Lord. And he said, no. He says, I know it's fake. I just like watching it for the theatrics. But there are people that think that that's what faith is. Somehow, you know, again, too, if I believe in a, someone else's power to do something, and it's the power of God. Does God heal? Yes, he does heal. I mean, if somebody like that really had the ability to heal, why 
go on television and beg people for money. If it was really from the Lord, why not go to the hospitals and the hospices and heal the sick that are there? He's, he talks about their faith and he says, it's good news to hear of your faith. It's good news when you realize that someone has come to Christ, is continuing to walk in faith, regardless of what happens in their lives. And again, too, the scripture talks about the trials, the afflictions that will come for the person that follows Jesus Christ. In the parable of the sower, when Jesus talks about the word, I mean the seed of the word being planted and the different types of ground that produce fruit. He talks about the, the seed or the faith that sometimes people have initially, but because there is no foundation or roots, and he says the, the sun scorches it and it withers away. He's, he talks about the, those that believe for a time, but because of trial or affliction or tribulations, they fall away. He talks about the seed that is planted, and again, too, Jesus actually explains the parable. And the person believes for a season. But then once it begins to spring up, it springs up with weeds as well. Old King James, the word tares. And Jesus explains what that is. He says the person who believes, but he says the person that then has the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. There are a lot of things that are fighting against your faith in God. And it's good to be aware of those things. And it's good news when you hear that someone continues to walk in faith. I think it's foundational too for us as believers that when we accept Christ, we recognize our lack of maturity, that we need to be with each other in a church, a local church body. You know, I think we, again, too, because of technology, it's easier and easier to not be part of a church body. And there are people that will make excuses as to why they're not a part of a church body because you, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll find a fault or they'll find a problem or how, somehow the church is failing or doing this or has some issue. And again, too, if it's a doctrinal issue, I understand that. But again, too, if it's just because they don't get along with someone or are disappointed by someone in the body of Christ, you know, you're not going to find a perfect church. And really, this is interesting to me because it's important for believers to be in a body because, again, too, as a baby believer, that's a way in which their faith can be nurtured and encouraged and brothers and sisters in Christ can come alongside and they can disciple them as well because Paul is going to talk about discipleship as well. Doing what he can to, to supply their lack of faith, doing what he can to do that work of perfecting in their faith. He mentions that in verse 10. So it's vital for a young believer to be in church, but it's also vital for any believer. In the book of Hebrews it says not to forsake the assembling together such as the custom of some is. Again, so, so many times people then as they mature in their faith and they just cannot get along with brothers and sisters in Christ. And again, how hard is it to have faith if I just isolate myself? Or how hard is it to say, and again, to, you know, in God's word it says, how can you say you love God whom you can't see when you can't love your brother who you do see? 
And one of the, I think, the evidence of our faith, and again, to whether or not we're maturing in our faith, is whether or not our faith works out not only in our trust in God, but in our ability to love. You know, one of the passages that came to my mind when it comes to faith is that there has to be evidence for that faith. And James addresses this. He says in chapter 2, verse 18, a man may say, you have faith and I have works. James is saying, show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God? You do well. The devils also believe and tremble. I mean, just for a person to say, I believe in God, it's nothing. The demons believe in God as well. Their trust and their faith isn't in God. As a matter of fact, they believe in God and they rebel against God. But just the fact that a person believes in God is not faith. He says in verse 20, But will you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered up Isaac upon the altar? See thou how faith wrought with his works was faith made perfect. And again, too, this probably, again, comes under the heading of what Paul's talking about in verse 10, where he wants to perfect what is lacking in their faith. Verse 23, back in James chapter 2, he says, The scripture was fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how by works a man is justified, not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so is faith without works dead also. Our faith is manifested through our works. My faith in God. If I believe in God, then I believe that God also too speaks to me through his word and directs me and commands me to do things. And if I'm not doing those things, then no matter how much I say I believe in God, if I'm not obeying what he says, I'm not evidencing my faith. It's important that there's evidence to our faith and not just a proclamation of our faith. Faith without works is dead, but Again, too, as I read, or as I'm going to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, faith without love is worthless. Because, again, there are people that can claim they have some great amount of faith or maturity in, in God, but if it's not manifested in love, then it's absolutely worthless. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and have not love, I am become as a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mystery and all knowledge, here it is now, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. So it's not just about our faith, but it's our faith and as it matures, it works its way out in works and in love. And Paul says this is good news to hear of your faith and of your love and that you have a good remembrance of us. The other thing that I want to bring up with regards to faith is that our faith is a source of comfort to others who might be struggling in their faith. Or maybe even not necessarily struggling but are going through trials or afflictions. As I mentioned, a been, my wife and I went to a funeral yesterday, and uh, I went to a funeral on Monday 
of this week. And then the previous Friday, I went to a funeral as well. And uh, it was interesting because yesterday, the funeral that we attended, and you, uh, you may be aware of this. Some of you know Stacy, who was a part of our fellowship years ago and then got married, um, I want to say about 11, 12 years ago. And then um, Stacy and Joe moved to Atlanta, and most of Stacy's family's still up here. But Stacy's um, nephew, who was 17 in Wyzetta, um, passed away. And it was a huge impact on the community. And so yesterday when we went to the funeral, there had to have been 1,500 to 2,000 people at the church. And afterwards, I mean, just almost trying to find Stacy was like a needle in a haystack because of all the number of people and the reception that they were having afterwards in the, in the fellowship area of this pretty large church in Wyzetta. But she said something to me, and she just said, so you know, what do we do, huh? you know, you, you must deal with this all the time. And it's true, you know, over the years I've, I've done my share of memorial services and, and have, have, have dealt with people. And even too, my own mom passing away last year, my dad seven years ago, there have been family, brothers and sisters in Christ over the years that you know that, that have gone on to be with him. And it's always a, a difficult thing and I know that Stacy and her husband Joe have a firm faith in Jesus Christ. But I also know that her family is looking to her because they know of the faith that she has. And it provides a measure of comfort to them, even though they have difficulty in seeing God in all of this trial that they're going through. They, they look to her because they know that she, of, because of her faith, there is an element of comfort that they receive. And it's interesting because then I almost felt like I was being a comfort to, to, to Stacy, my wife and I were being a comfort to Stacy and her husband, Joe, because again, too, they're going through this grief and they know, again, too, that we've dealt with some of these things before, not the exact circumstance that they're going through. But Paul says, therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. And the thing is, when our faith, people are looking to see your faith. Is your faith going to be strong in God and in his word? And sometimes we don't even have the words to share. But all we can do is just point them back to God and point them back to God's word or to speak honestly to them and just say, I don't know what to say. I don't have some, you know, magic scripture verse that I'm going to give you that somehow oh, everything is going to be all right. Now you're going to be healed and, and you're going to leave the place, you know, skipping and whistling a happy song. You know, sometimes all you can do in the comfort that we provide is for our faith to be unwavering in God and in his word. And let them see that. Let them, again, to see, I don't understand or know why. I don't have answers, but I know that God is good. I know that God loves you. I know that all things work together for good for those that love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. 
I know that this will affect our perspective. I, I think of what Solomon wrote, and actually I, I mentioned this verse to Stacy yesterday, and again, to not that I was thinking of some magic verse, but it made me, again, to the, the funerals that I've gone to recently, it made me think about what Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, when, in, in Ecclesiastes, he's talking about, again, to the death of a person and the mourning that comes as a result, and he says it's better to go into the house of mourning than it is to go into the house of feasting, a party, you know, a some type of celebration. He, he's actually, Solomon's actually saying, it's better to go to a funeral and to be grieved by it and to mourn with everybody else over the loss of somebody that you love than to go to some type of birthday party or feast or celebration. And he gives the reason why, because he says, you know, the, the, the house of mourning is, again, too, a reminder that everyone dies. And as a result, it allows us to consider, to consider our mortality, to consider a right relationship with God, to consider what we will do when we stand before Him in His presence. I mean, that's the value of it, is the considering. But our faith will either comfort those that are in affliction or distress or our lack of faith will be a lack of comfort or answers to those that might be needing them. He says, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. I mean, I'm not putting it all on you, on your faith. You, you better walk with God because again, too, it... I'm going to sink or swim on your faith. But it's, again, to just the, the tendency sometimes that we have. I mean, I noticed this when we were at Calvary Chapel Oceanside. Our pastor stepped down after five years for personal reasons. He stepped down from the ministry after five years. And, you know, all of a sudden we had put him on such a pedestal and we thought, oh, no, you know, now what are we going to do? Well, the problem is our, our faith was in our pastor. Our faith should be in God and in Jesus Christ. So again, too, you know, it does provide comfort, but at the same time, our faith should always be in God. And he says, we live if, we, if you stand fast in the Lord. But the last thing he mentions, he says, for, verse 9, what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. I mean, he is so thrilled of the walk that they have, of the faith that he's heard about. And again, too, you know, the, the prayers that are being offered up for these group of believers. I mean, if you don't have a prayer list, I'd encourage you to get a prayer list. And maybe even to, or write down a prayer list. And as you hear of things that are going on in the body of Christ, or you hear of people in, in our fellowship, write them down and begin to pray for them. You don't have, even have to tell you, you know, come up to them, hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. But, you know, it's interesting because when you do tell people, and actually I had this conversation with Sean earlier this week, when you tell people that you're praying for them, it strengthens their faith. It is a source of encouragement and comfort as well. And he, he is just talking about how happy and joyful he is in the Lord because of the faith that they have, the love that they have, and the good re remembrance in verse 6 that they have of Paul and of the rest of the team that ministered there in Thessalonica. 
And he says in verse 10, night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face. I think he mentions that, or Paul, uh, Sean mentioned it a couple weeks ago when he was covering chapters 1 and 2. I mean, you know, the desire to see brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, again, too, we live in a day, because, a day and age because of technology, we're connected. You may not always get to see someone. You can text them. You can FaceTime them or Skype them or any many different ways of connecting with people today. But there's nothing like seeing people face to face. That's what I love about going to, for me, pastor's conferences. It's a chance for me to see brothers and sisters in Christ that are serving the Lord faithfully year in and year out. And I get to see their face. We get to connect. We get to smile. We get to hug each other. We get to hear about the, the victories or how God is blessing. And we also get to grieve over sometimes the trials that we go through or the losses that we experience. But there's nothing like being with brothers and sisters in Christ face to face. I encourage you, again, to within our own church, make it a priority to be a part. If this is where God's called you, if God hasn't called you here, then I got no problem with that. Find a place where you can be a part of, where your spiritual gifts can be exercised, where, again, too, there's accountability and there's iron sharpening iron. And again, too, we're a family and we love each other and the, the body is edifying itself in love. And again, too, we see you face to face. And I understand there are things that come up. I know I haven't been in the pulpit probably this year more than any other year in ministry. In the 28 years I've been in ministry, I haven't been in the pulpit quite a few Sundays and quite a few Wednesdays because of things that have come up. Family, important family things or important issues that have come up. And I'm grateful that the body functions. I'm grateful that there are gifts, that there are brothers in our fellowship that I can ask to fill the pulpit for me and and some of them, you know, they'll do it, and they do a good job, but they're just like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. There's a little timidity. And then I like the ones that he's like, yeah, I love doing that. Let me teach. Yeah, I love that as well. So, but I'm really grateful for, again, too, I, I'll try to tune in when we're out of town. And I, I just, it, it makes me glad to know that the Word of God is being taught. But there's nothing like being face-to-face -face with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says to them in verse 10 that I might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. And again, too, this speaks to the fact that, yes, they've begun well in the faith. Their faith in God, their faith in Jesus Christ, their faith in God's word, the promises of God's word. They've begun well. But there are always things that can be done to, protect, uh, to perfect our faith. There's always lessons that can be learned that strengthens my faith in God. And again, too, for me, and I mentioned I've been pastoring for 28 years, but I've been a Christian for a little over 33, 34 years. And the thing I, that, again, there are still trials that come up. There's still distractions. There are still attacks of the enemy that want me 
that to take my eyes off of God or take my eyes off of God's word. I think of Peter getting out of the boat in the midst of a storm and, you know, Lord, if it's really you, you know, call me to come out and walk on the water. And Peter does at first, but then the waves are boisterous and the wind is blowing. And instead of keeping his eyes on Jesus, he's looking at everything that's going on around him. And you know the story from the scripture, from the gospel. He begins to sink. And he cries out to Jesus, save me, Lord. And Jesus just reaches, scoops him up, throws him in the boat. Other disciples, if I was one of the other disciples, I'd be snickering. (laughs) You know what? None of them got out of the boat. Great man of faith, Peter. You know what? At least he stepped out. But again, you know, the lesson in all of that is it doesn't matter how old or how young you are in the Lord, there are things that can be done to perfect our faith that cause us to trust in the Lord. And there are things that, again, too, that are trying to undermine or derail your faith. And the enemy's at at work trying to attack your faith as well. Sometimes it's trials. You know, sometimes it's the, the one thing that just overwhelms or discourages us. And we just feel that God doesn't love us or that God hasn't answered my prayers the way I wanted him to answer my prayers. And I'm not going to believe in you anymore, God, because you didn't answer my prayers the way I wanted you to. My, my, the real test of our faith is knowing that God loves us. And even if God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want him to, he's still working in the life of his children in love. And God knows so much more and better than we do. And you would do well to trust the work that he is doing. You may not understand it, but you can still trust and have a faith in him because of his love. It was a love that Jesus went to the cross for us. There's no greater love, Jesus said, than a man would lay down his life for his friend. God showed the supreme amount of love that he has towards you and towards me because of what Jesus has done. And he's wanting to perfect. Paul says, I'm wanting to perfect that which is lacking in your faith. And again, too, this is a pastor. This is an evangelist caring about the younger believer. But that's the case for all of us. There's always, always somebody that is wiser or more mature or more knowledgeable in God's word. And even then, we can learn from somebody that's younger and less knowledgeable in God's word, and yet if they are teaching us to trust God through either their actions, their faith, or through the word of God, then it is a work that God is doing. There's never a time where we get, you know, I've achieved perfection in my faith. I'm unwavering in my faith. You know, God not only knows how to test us in that, but the enemy does as well. And that's the whole point of Job. You know, the the enemy just thinks, there is something I can do to Job where he's not going to believe in you anymore, God. Just let me take away his possessions. God says, okay, take them away. That doesn't work. Okay, let me me take away his health. And it not only takes away his health, but he is suffering immensely. Let me take away his family. And even then, in all of those things, faith, Job's faith in God was unwavering. He didn't understand, but he still trusted God. He said, we receive good from the hand of God. Shouldn't we also receive adversity and trials as well. 
And there was a work of perfection that was taking place. And there is a work that God does in perfecting our faith that never stops. Don't be surprised by the trials or by the perfecting work of God in our lives. But the second thing that he mentions, and I just quickly touch upon this in verse 6, is love. Timothy brought us good tidings of your faith and love. And then in verse 11, as he's closing the chapter, and again, too, I mentioned this last week, in each one of the chapters in his epistle to, Thessal to the Thessalonians, he talks about the coming of Jesus Christ, the return of Jesus. But he says in verse 11, Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, and this is a prayer, really, what he is praying. He says, Direct our way unto you, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as you do even as we do toward you, to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. I mean, the, the two things that I believe are the most important elements in the life of the believer are our faith in God and our maturing in love. I mean, we think we love but we realize we don't. And the thing that Paul's prayer for them is, you know, again, too, this desire he wants to see them, verse 11, but also, too, he wants them to grow in love. And he wouldn't be saying this if this wasn't something that was essential or necessary. And I'll have to tell you, too, that was one of the things that drew me into relationship with God, was the love that I saw in the life of a believer that I'd never seen in anybody else's life. It was something that, again, too, I saw it as supernatural. And then as a new believer attending the church, and I saw the love, first of all, that people had for God. And they were unashamed to demonstrate that love to God because as they worshiped, their hearts were engaged to, in adoring God. Their hands were raised. They at times were kneeling down or, or at times they were singing in, at the top of their lungs and they didn't care what anybody else thought about how they sing. I have to commend my son-in-law because, you know, at times when he's standing next to me and worshiping, you know, he's not always on key. And I have a difficult time being on key as well, but he doesn't care. He loves God so much he's just going to sing with all his heart to God. And, and I love that because, you know, I hadn't seen that anywhere else. I'd grown up going to church, but I didn't see that kind of love. And I didn't see the kind of love within the body of Christ. And, and again, too, every church has its issues or problems. For me, you know, I have a good relationship with my siblings. And that's, again, too, a, a testament of the love of God working in all of our lives. Because like anybody else, we have differences, my siblings and I. And I know for me at some point, it just came down to this realization. You know, we may be different, and at times we might grate on each other, and at times we might want different things. But the bottom line is, is we have the same parents. We have the same upbringing. We have the same blood flowing through our veins. We have the same genetic makeup. It's probably just manifest in a little different way. And if you know anything about my brothers and sisters, I mean, we're just all you see, you know, yeah, we're brothers and sisters. 
But you can also see four people that are probably as different as any four people can get. And yet you also see the similarity that we have in all of our lives. And as I begin to appreciate that, and begin to appreciate my siblings, I love my siblings. I love being with them, spending time with them. But it made me think about, again, too, and they're believers as well, so I know I'll spend eternity with them as well, which is an added bonus. But as I begin to think about the body of Christ, and at times the lack of love that are in churches, and the bickering, and the gossiping, and the, and the backbiting, or the, you know, I want to get my own way kind of mentality. And many times the things that happen in churches happen, are basically a reflection of the same thing that happened in families, just on a larger scale. And the real evidence of love is recognizing we might not have the same father in the flesh, or the same mother or parents in the flesh, but we have the same heavenly Father that has given His Son. And as a result, we have a new nature and we have the same Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We do have the same sin nature as our fathers and mothers, Adam and Eve. That sin nature has been passed on to us. doesn't matter the color of our skin. It doesn't matter the amount of education we've had. It doesn't matter, you know, our place or our lot in life or even the trials that we've gone through. There is a commonality that mankind has. And for the person that's placed their trust in Jesus Christ, there is a, a unity, a love that we can work on because we know that we will spend the rest of eternity with the people that are in this room that have spent, have committed their lives to Jesus Christ. And again, too, you know, to think eternally, Paul says, my prayer is that you would increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Paul says, my love for you is growing, and I want your love for each other to grow and your love for for again, to even the non-believer to grow, to become a channel through which God's love will flow, if you'll let it, if you'll let him. I think at times we resist. You know, God is prompting us and wanting us to love, or God is wanting us to, to say, I'm sorry, or, or, or you know what, I don't have to have my own way. And yet we just like children fighting and wanting our own way. We resist the work of love that God is wanting to do. But as your faith grows, and your love then should grow, and to me that's the supreme evidence. Again, go back, you know, homework assignment, go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and see the importance of love and ask yourself, is that the kind of love or is that the way that I love others? And if not, and, and again, too, I, I don't want to put any condemnation on you, but, but this is what we should be striving for. This is the work that we are, are working towards, again, to loving. And again, in the faith, there's so many things that are trying to tear down that love and harden our hearts. And we need to resist those things and make Paul's prayer that he has for them, our prayer for ourselves, but also to for each other that God or that the Lord would make you increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men.
Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, how you have worked faithfully in our lives. And Lord, that we have trusted you with our salvation. We can trust you, Lord, with our day-to-day -day lives, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us your word and the working of your Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, for your blessing upon your people. And my prayer is this, Lord, that we as a, a church would increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men. Lord, that they would see that evidence of salvation and of that faith in our lives by the love that we show. Bless my brothers and sisters, and it's in your name, Lord Jesus, that I pray. Amen. God bless you guys. I want to remind you about Wednesday.